All right, if you'd like to open your Bibles to the scripture we're going to look at this morning, it's going to be Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. Normally we look in the extended passage of scripture together, but this morning we're just going to zero in on that one verse and then from that verse build out a, a biblical theology of a topic that I think is very important. So we're, we're merging together that Proverbs study that we just wrapped up, and we're merging it together with this new sermon series that we're calling We Tunes. Uh, so not iTunes, but We Tunes. What it means to understand music and the Bible in 21st century church. How do we bring those things together? And this morning, we're going to start off with a message that follows up on something that Dr. Kelly alluded to last week from Malachi. And it also builds on a sermon that I heard a couple of months ago at a pastor's conference from a man named Ed Litton, who pastors in Mobile, Alabama. And some of you ladies who do Bible studies may be familiar with his wife, Kathy Litton. But Ed preached a sermon uh, that just broke my heart, not because it was a bad sermon, because it was such a good sermon, and my heart was so hard in a particular area. And so, building off of something that he said in that sermon, I want us to come together around this particular verse, around this particular topic, as we start to think about music and worship and being a church, what does it look like to do those things? Now, in just a moment, we're going to get to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, but before we do that, as a foundation for what we're talking about this morning, I want us to do a responsive reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Guys, if you can bring up uh, those verses from 1 Corinthians 13, I'll read the verses that are the words that are on the top of the screen, and then there will be words along the bottom uh, for you guys to, to read in response. And since we're reading God's word together, if you're physically able to do so, would you stand as we read God's word as a church family this morning? I'm gonna read the words on top and then the words that are more bold on bottom if, if you would respond uh, in honor of God's word. If we speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, And if we have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if we have faith to move mountains but do not have love, and if we donate all our goods to feed the poor, and if we sacrifice our bodies but do not have love, because we know that love is patient, love is kind. Love is not rude or selfish. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Imagine being a part of a church that totally changes the face of a city and a region. People who are needy, people who are hurting, find hope. Imagine being a part of a church that exceeds its budget by 150% and begins to give away money to other churches to encourage and support them. 
Imagine being a part of a church that multiplies its influence through new church and through missionaries sent out all over the world to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Imagine being a part of a church where over 100 people come to faith and are baptized in the next year. Imagine being a part of a church that has the most passionate, engaging musical worship where the parking lot is full and the lobby is full and people don't come together for a show, but they come together by the thousands to pour out themselves to the Lord. Now imagine that that church is Capitol Hill Baptist over on 134th Street or Chartel Church of God up on Western or Frontline or Journey or Life Church or any place other than Emmaus. All of those things that we count as powerful expressions of a church, but it happens somewhere else. Would we be okay if God poured out revival and worked in powerful ways that transformed our city and transformed our region and transformed our state, but he did it somewhere else? Because at our core, when we hear those things, about full budgets and full parking lots and passionate worship and all of these other things, and it happens somewhere else, if we're not careful, what happens on the inside of us is envy. Not rejoicing, but, but envy. Because as we begin to talk over the next six weeks as a church family about music and worship and the Bible and 21st century church, as we talk about those things, When we look at church life, most churches don't have a music problem. They don't have a leadership problem. They don't have a vision problem. The core problem is envy. Envy will eat us up from the inside out. Envy will destroy who we're meant to be as God's people, who we're meant to be as a church. On the back of your bulletin, There's some notes to guide us through our time, and you see at the top there that envy is the feeling of discontent or greed that comes when we see another person's success or advantages. Now, it's different than greed because greed is normally focused on that particular thing, that particular possession that you really want. Envy is more personal. Envy is more about that particular person that has that thing that you really want. And envy is very deceptive because there's a good part of it. You can flip it around and envy says, wow, I really look up to that person. Or wow, I can really learn from them. Or wow, you know, I really, but then it starts to turn into discontent and discontent turns into greed and greed begins to eat us up from the inside out. And it's all connected back to the pride that shows up in the Garden of Eden there in Genesis chapter three, how God creates the people and he places them in his perfect location. But then this form of pride, this form of sin comes in that shows up as envy because they don't wanna just be God's creation there, they want to be like God. They want to have something that they don't currently have. And then as God's people end up in Egypt and he takes them out of Egypt, the people begin to envy the food of the Egyptians. They don't want the manna. They want the food that those other people have. And they begin to envy what these evil people who are opposed to God have. And then they come into the promised land and they begin to envy the gods 
of the other nations. They begin to envy these nations because they can actually see their gods, their wood and gold and silver. And then they begin to envy the other nations who have a king. If you remember this part of the Old Testament, God brings his people into the land and he's going to be their king. He's going to be over them. But then they look around and they start to envy these other nations because these nations have a king. And God says, well, okay, if you want a king, I'll send you a king. And so he sends them Saul. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, the king he sends them is actually eaten up with envy from the inside out. But it's not an Old Testament problem. Envy is something that we all struggle with. Every one of us can find those places of envy in our life. We have job envy. You envy the job that someone else has. They have an easier job. It pays more money. Everything's perfect at their job, and you begin to envy that. We have spousal envy. Most affairs don't happen because of lust. They happen because of envy. Look at their marriage. Man, they never have any problems their husband, their wife, always does X, Y, and Z. And it shows up as envy on the inside. This is embarrassing to say, but we have kid, children, envy. <laughs> we begin to envy someone else's kids. Look at their kids. They always act perfect. And then, you know, look at my kids. Everybody else's kids are cute when they do something wrong. When your own kids do something wrong, then you're like, oh, man, it just tears you up. So we begin to envy other people's children. Kids, you begin to envy other people's parents. Man, their parents are cool. Man, their parents, they do this, they do that. And you take your eyes off loving and obeying and respecting your own parents because you're envying someone else's parents. We envy the stuff. We envy the fact that they have cars and houses and clothes that are better than ours. We envy popularity. But it doesn't stop there. It happens in churches. Churches have ministry envy. We envy another church because look at how good their program is. Or they have that program, but we don't have it. Or they have pastor envy. Look at that church. It's okay, you can say in your heart. It won't hurt me. Look at that church. Their pastor does X, and our pastor doesn't do that. And it doesn't stop there. It just turns into this discontent, this bitterness, but we envy what they have. We envy their music. Look at their music. Their music is so great, and it's big and loud, and it's this and that. And we begin to envy what somebody else has, and it causes us to lose sight of what God is doing in our lives right now. Envy's a big deal. It will steal and kill and destroy our lives. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. This is a verse that I would encourage you to memorize. If you are struggling with envy and it's eating you up, look at this verse. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. If you're reading from the King James, the King James here just knocks it out of the park. It's, it has this beautiful phrasing that shows you the perfect parallel between these two halves of the verse. Remember that when you read the book of Proverbs, and we talked about this multiple times in the last two or three months, but when you read the book of Proverbs, you're looking for parallel statements. Sometimes they're parallel statements that will say the same thing twice. Sometimes they're parallel statements that will purposely give you the opposite the second time. And it's designed to set up this contrast that says, choose this, not this. The contrast obviously is between a heart at peace 
and a heart that envies, a heart at peace gives life. Envy rots, not even quick death. It just slowly eats you apart from the inside out. And it gives life to the body, this idea of a body that can do something, a body that's alive, or it can rot your bones, meaning it just, it, it just breaks you down from the inside out. If you're keeping track on your notes, the first thing, the first reason why envy is such a big deal is because it will poison and destroy your life. I love what Ed Litton says in his sermon at this point. He says, when we can't see God's goodness for others, we can't see it for us either. When we don't realize and we're, all we're doing is envying what someone else has, we're not able to see how God's at work in our life and it begins to poison us. It begins to suck the life out of us. And this can happen in your marriage, it can happen in your life personally, and it can happen in a church. The life can be sucked out of a local body of believers because you become so envious of what is happening at another church or another location that you begin to lose that vibrancy, you begin to lose that joy of how God's spirit is working. And the hard thing here is because envy is so deceptive, it obviously works through lies. Just like all of Satan's temptations, envy works through, through lies. And the lie of envy is the old lie about how the grass is always greener on the other side. Do not forget, the reason the grass is greener on the other side is because there's more manure over there. So if you think in your mind, man, the grass is greener, there's a reason the grass is greener on the other side. It's a lie, it's a deception that says, man, if I could just envy that, if I could just get that, then I would be happy. Then I would have true life. Jesus tells us, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in our sins we are dead. But through his death and resurrection, we are able to be made alive. We're able to experience true life. And the enemy wants to steal that life away. And one of the easiest ways to do that is through causing us to envy, to think that what we have is not enough. And the strange thing about envy is it's a sin or a temptation that brings almost no pleasure. Because of the way that it works, stealing, you get some immediate pleasure from that, you, you get something, you feel like you've really gained something. Lust or adultery comes with some measure of pleasure. Idolatry, you're able to see something, there's some pleasure. Envy brings no pleasure. It is at the very bottom of all possible temptations and sins because you don't gain anything. You don't hurt the other person and you don't gain anything for yourself, you just feel poisoned. You feel like your bones are rotting from the inside out. All the joy is being sucked out of your life. Number two, joy will kill relationships. This is the statement from Ed Litton's sermon that hit me between the eyes a couple of months ago and made me spend a long time in prayer. Ed Litton, on your notes there, were under kills relationships. He said, we don't just want what someone else has we don't want them to have it either. We don't just want what someone else has. That's one form of greed. We don't want them to have it either. We're so eaten up with envy that it kills that relationship with the other person and we want them to lose 
whatever they have that causes us to envy them. And at that point, we realize that any possibility for a relationship is completely destroyed at that point because we don't want what's best for them. We just don't want them to have anything good to begin with. And it begins to destroy any opportunity. This is where the story of Saul and David comes into play. If you have a copy of the Bible in front of you or you have your phone with you and you want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18 is over there toward uh, the beginning of the Old Testament after you get past some of those initial books of the law and you get past Joshua and Judges, you begin to get to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 18 is about Saul's jealousy or envy of David. Starting there in verse 7, after David has come back from this great military victory, it says, as they danced, they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him, made him bitter. It, it, it tore him up from the inside out. They credited David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands. David got a three liter of Coke, and Saul just felt like he had this little eight ounce Coke. What more can he get but the kingdom? And then verse 9 says, From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. If we always have a jealous eye on someone, if we always feel envious of someone, we realize it's almost impossible for there to be any sort of healthy relationship in that situation. It's interesting that if you, uh, if you have a Bible that has an index at the end where it lets you, or a concordance that lets you search out certain words, or if on your phone your Bible program allows you to search out certain words, if you search the word envy in the New Testament, it will often show up in these lists of sins. So Paul will list out multiple sins, or Peter will list out multiple sins, and envy is usually located next to quarreling, or dissension, or strife, some word that has to do with a relationship being severed, a relationship being broken. That's not by accident. It's this idea that envy will cause strife and dissension and disunity in relationships. And don't miss this. Not just friendship relationships. It happens in your workplace. You guys know what relationships look like in a workplace when there's envy between two employees or even between two owners or some situation like that. It will happen in your marriage so quickly. Envy can break into a marriage Envy can break in among siblings. These are those, especially that sibling question, this is where so much strife can show up in a family because of the way envy gets in there and it begins to create bitterness and begins to create strife and dissension between siblings. We have to pay attention to envy because it can destroy your family from the inside out in the same way that it can destroy a church from the inside out. Number three. So first, it poisons and destroys our life. It can also kill relationships. Number three, envy will lead us to meaningless activity. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse four up here on the screen. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I saw that all toil, all work, and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So in other words, Many of the things that we do in life, many of the things that we give our time to, 
and our money to and our energy to, we give our energy to those things because we envy someone else and we're trying to prove ourselves, we're trying to impress someone, we're trying to gain what someone else has, and we tear ourselves up trying to get to point X out here, and the Bible says it's meaningless. You're chasing after the wind. You're chasing after something that you're never actually going to find. That hope, that confidence, that thing that motivates you can't be envy because you'll never arrive. arrive. You'll never reach what you're aiming for. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a healthy form of this where you look at another church or another company or another person, you say, wow, they're doing really well. I want to be like them. That's not wrong. Because Paul will show up in the New Testament and he'll say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's not wrong to look at another church or another business or another person and say, I want to be like them. I want to learn from them. I can do better than I'm doing right now. The problem is when envy is the thing that drives everything you do. Because then you're focused more on that other person than you are on what the Lord is calling you to do. The way the book of Ecclesiastes ends It ends in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, where it says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. So Ecclesiastes 4 says envy is going to be chasing after the wind. It's going to be meaningless. But if the thing that motivates you is worship of God, obedience to his commands, That's the direction that you want to point your life. You won't waste your life if you follow it, if you follow the Lord. You will waste your life if you're always chasing after another person. Number four, when we envy, it reveals a distrust of God's love. The two places uh, in the book of Psalms, and, and Dr. Kelly referred to this last week, the two places in the book of Psalms that address envy most clearly are Psalm 73 which he alluded to last week, and then also Psalm 37. Psalm 37, starting in verse one, it says, do not fret because of those who are evil. Do not be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Then it goes on in verse three, um, and it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. When we feel like a person who's not following the Lord, who doesn't give any care for the things of Christ, when it feels like they're doing well, they're being successful, they're getting ahead, we begin to envy them. We begin to want to be like them. And what's happened in that moment is we're no longer trusting the Lord's goodness. We're no longer trusting the Lord's love. We're no longer believing Romans 8 that he's going to cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It takes us away from truly trusting the Lord. Number five, so not only does it reveal a distrust of God's love, but envy can hinder the spread of the gospel. And this is where it becomes so important to think about this as as a church. So all of us gathered together as Emmaus. If you're not a part of Emmaus, think about this in relation to a church you might want to be a part of, or think about this in relation to a church that that you're normally um, in attendance at. Envy will hinder the spread of the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. 
but the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. Change while I'm in chains. Paul goes on to say all that he cares about is that the gospel is preached. But what Paul alludes to there is when someone is engaged in ministry out of envy for someone else, they're doing it from a selfish motive and they ultimately want to cause trouble for the other person. Okay, here's how this works its way out in church. If churches and take more Norman, Oklahoma City as the perfect example of this. If churches are always envious of what other churches are doing, and they're always trying to chase after the latest fad or the latest program, and they wanna do what another church is doing, and they're envious, it causes discontent, it causes greed, we lose our focus from the mission that God has called us to, and everything becomes about attracting more people from this other church. And then it gets really unhealthy because then in its worst forms, our main goal is to get people from that church to attend our church. Because we're envious, we don't like what's happening at that other church that's probably really good in most cases. We're envious of that. And so our main goal becomes how can we get those people to attend our church? Well, all we've done in that point is we've completely lost sight of the thing that God has called us to do as a church. We can fight over church people rotating from one place to the next all we want, but if we do that out of envy and we lose sight of what God has called us to do, it will completely hinder the spread of the gospel, and we are so susceptible to that based on where we live right here. It's so easy to get caught up on that. I'm not blaming anybody here. If there's any fingers, it points straight at me when it comes to these things. But before we can ever talk about music as a church, we have to address this envy question. Because if we're not careful, at the core of it, we want a particular type of music so people won't go to that church, but they'll come to our church. And all we've done at that point is we've fought with one another, we've discredited the gospel, and we've lost energy that could have been put toward really reaching people with the gospel. It's so dangerous, it's so deceptive, and we have to do everything we can to guard our hearts against it. How do you recognize envy? So you say, you know what, this is everybody else's problem, I don't struggle with this. Lord help you if that's the case, but uh, how do I recognize envy in my life? On the notes, there's three ways that we can recognize envy. Number one, and this is really the main option. Number one, am I obeying Romans 12, 15? Romans 12, 15 says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. So how do I respond when something goes well for someone else? Kids, teenagers, ask yourself this question over and over and over again. When something goes well for your friends, they achieve something that you wanted to achieve. Something good comes into their lives. How do you respond? What happens in your life at that moment? Are you really able to rejoice with them? And then flip it over and it gets even harder on the flip side. How do I react when something goes badly for someone? Is inside of me there are little feelings of happiness because someone I envied had something bad happen to them. Here's how it works itself out on a church level. 
There's a church across town. This is, this is hypothetical. There's not, I'm not referring to any place. But there's a church across town. They're doing great. Tons of people are coming. People are being baptized. They're reaching all kinds of people. And then something happens. Maybe the, the leader there has some sort of failure, moral failure, and things start to break down. At that moment, do we mourn deeply with that church? Or is there some level of excitement of, hey, I bet a bunch of those people are gonna come to our church now. Do you see how that works? Do you see how brutally painful this can be? How do we react when something hard or difficult comes into somebody else's life? Do we rejoice or do we mourn? How do we, how do we respond to those type of things? A second way to recognize envy is just how does my body feel? <laughs> does my blood pressure go up? Does my body temperature shoot, shoot through the roof? For, for me personally, I can tell I'm envious of someone or a situation when the energy flows out of me. I just lose the energy. So I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter, and another pastor says, we baptized 30 people today. You know what happens to me as a pastor? The energy just, whoosh, just shoots right out of me. I feel this weight, I feel this depression setting in, because deep down, I'm just envious of what happened to that other guy, and, and all that energy comes out of me. If something happens and you feel the energy shoot out of you, and you just feel this weight and this depression, there's a good chance there's envy at work right there. The third thing, am I becoming combative or dismissive towards someone? You feel the relationship breaking down, you've been friends with someone for a long time, and you start to feel that relationship break down, your marriage becomes either combative or the opposite direction, you start to dismiss each other, isolate from each other. Sometimes, some, not always, but sometimes at the core of that, there's envy happening there. You don't like what's happening to the other person. They're doing well and you're not doing well and it can, can start to breed uh, those, those type of problems. Okay, last part, the part we really need to get to. What do we do in response to envy? We know it's there, we know it's in our hearts, we know it can be in our church. What do we do in response to envy? Number one, we must establish our identity in Christ. Galatians chapter two, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Hear me out on this next part. I'm gonna read it off my notes so I don't mess up the wording. In Christ, there is nothing I can want or gain that would measure up to who he is and what he has already done for me. In Christ, there is nothing I could want and nothing I could ever gain that would measure up to who he is and what he's already done. As a Christian, if we understand kind of the foundations of, of the gospel, of what it means to be made right with God through Jesus, it should be impossible to envy. What is there to envy? I have been made right with God through Jesus. I have been set free from death. I have been set free from sin. I have been set free from the imprisonment of working out my own salvation. I have nothing I could achieve, nothing I could ever gain that would ever compare to the treasure that we have in Christ. When our identity is perfectly rested in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it should be impossible at that point to envy. Which tells us when envy starts to break into our lives, 
the best thing you can do is just to go back and preach the gospel to yourself. Just to say, okay, who am I really? Who is Jesus? What has he done in my life? How is my identity with God? If that's worked out, then I don't have to be held down by envy. I don't have to be held down by chasing after these things. The key word here, the word I'm trying to get at, is rest. You can rest. You can have this freedom that says, because of Jesus, I'm made right with God, and therefore I can be made right with others, and I don't have to be driven by envy or jealousy or pride or any of these other things that will steal that life that God desires to give. Number two, that means that then we can worship. The second way to fight envy is to worship and to give thanks to God. Colossians, Colossians 3 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When I'm not envying someone else, I'm able to put my focus on God. I'm able to worship. Here's the ironic thing for a church. Envy will destroy worship, and worship will destroy envy. One of the two are gonna win out. Either our envy of another church or another person will destroy our ability to engage in worship, or our engagement in true, authentic worship will destroy those feelings of envy because our eyes, our minds, our hearts have been set back on, on the things of God. The question is, which one's going to win out? And we're gonna talk over the next several weeks about how do we allow worship to win out over all these other things. Number three, you can kill envy when you're able to love, appreciate, and get to know others. We've already talked several times about how envy will kill relationships, but when you truly are able to love someone, to appreciate who they are and what they have, and you can really get to know them, all that envy begins to fade away. You probably had the experience, you maybe not, but work out this experience with me. You've really envied someone to the point that it was breaking down your friendship or breaking down your relationship. You've really envied someone and then you got to know them and in a strange way that is hard to describe, you're almost underimpressed. <laughs> you're like, oh, they have problems too. They have struggles too. All along in my mind, I envy that person and I could never really get to know them because in my mind, everything was perfect, everything was easy, they never had any struggles, they never had any problems. And then you move that envy out of the way and you say, I just want to get to know them and you realize, oh, they have trouble at home too. Oh, they have trouble with their finances too. They have trouble with their marriage too. And it's not that you're rejoicing that they have problems, it's that you actually can drop that guard you can drop all that protection. You can just really get to know someone. And genuine relationships are able to thrive when we don't have envy standing in the way. Last thing, and we'll wrap up with this. The best way to fight envy is when we're able to follow Jesus and fulfill his mission. What's his mission? Uh, probably the simplest way to see it is in Matthew 28, the, what we call the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28 Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We have to, individually, as families, as a church, stay focused on that mission. There's no one to impress. We have nothing to prove. We simply have Jesus to serve. 
There's no one to impress. We have nothing to prove. There's just Jesus to serve. I pray that God would set our hearts free to be able to know him, to worship him, and to live for him, and that the result of that would be that all those things we talked about at the first of the service, imagine that church, that those things would come true, not because we envied another church, but because we truly were able to worship the Lord. I'm gonna pray for us. After I pray for us, we're gonna stand and sing a song of response, a song to wrap up our time this morning. Maybe you feel a lot of envy in your heart, and you just need to spend some time praying during this song. You can come down to the front, I know at a time like this, it can be really difficult to respond in that way because you think, oh man, everybody's gonna look at me and think I'm an envious person. Don't worry, they're envious too. <laughs> they're, they're struggling as well. This is the time between you and the Lord to respond however God is leading you. We just want you to be able to wrap up this morning thinking upon what it means to truly know and follow the Lord. Let's pray together and we're gonna sing that song here in just a moment. God, thank you for a morning like this that we're able to pray together, read these scriptures together, encourage one another, sing together. Father, I pray that those who are here who feel like the life has been sucked out of them, that, that their bones are rotting because of feelings of envy toward others, God, that you would set them free. They would know who Jesus is and how he's worked in their lives. Father, I pray that if there are those here, including myself, who find themselves envious of other churches or envious of what is happening in someone else's situation and it begins to take our eyes away from where we really need to be focused, God, that you would forgive us, that you would set us free from that. Father, that we could simply be the people in the church that you called us to be. God, that we would follow you and fulfill the mission you've given us through Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.